Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. Hello there and welcome. My name is Dave Cunningham. Roger James has been a fan of this city since he first arrived to play a gig at Muldoon's in the Frontenac Hotel back in the 70s. After some 6,000 performances, his fans still can't get enough of his comedy and music. In this episode, I sit down with a man who needs nothing more than a banjo and a mic to keep his audiences entertained. Here is our conversation with Roger James. So, Roger, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. You have been performing around town for a long, long time. And I must confess, I must confess that I have lived in Kingston for over 50 years and I have yet to see you perform. And I apologize for that. But I've heard of you for over 50 years. Now, now, where did you get your start? What was your first performance? Do you remember that going back? I do, and it was, uh, I, I grew up in Detroit, actually. I uh, was born in New York, moved to Detroit when I was 10, and started a little rock band in Detroit uh, called The Prosecutors, okay. about 1964 or so. And um, the first official gig that The Prosecutors did that I remember it was about 1966 at the Michigan State Fair. And I have a picture from that. So that, that's the first, I think that would be the first official gig. So that was an, a paying gig. Yeah, that was a paying gig. I still have the dollar bill framed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you one of these fellas that uh, keeps a lot of these memorabilia of your career? <laughs> yeah, <no>. you can see, <laughs> you can see uh, I just people, looking at the back there yeah the people can't see but yeah yeah I'm uh, I, I look at these as kind of uh, bookmarks of, of periods of my life and, and yeah I've kept things that I consider significant from each kind of major change that I've gone through and uh, I've always collected things that I thought I would need when I was old Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm starting to use those now. Uh, I, I've always kept old guitar strings um, from, I have old guitar strings from like 40 years ago. Because, because I thought if I get old and I can't afford guitar strings, at least old ones will play and, you know. You'll you have, have some in reserve. You have to have strings to play, yeah. What Was guitar your first instrument when you were learning? Uh, first instrument was... Uh, Ukulele was really the first um, kind of thing I took seriously. I was seven or eight. My sister, I had two older sisters that played ukulele, and uh, I got they taught me how to how to play it. So I switched from uke to baritone uke. And when the band first started, I was playing baritone uke with a pickup on it, <laughs> and then then to electric guitar from there. Everything I've read about you starts off by saying that you are a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. So what do you play besides the ukulele? Uh, well, actually, yeah, not much ukulele now, but uh, primarily guitar and banjo. I guess I'm considered 
more of a banjo player. I was I never never uh, got to be the guitar player I wanted to be. <laughs> I still want to be. But, um, uh, I really enjoy the banjo, and the banjo comes really natural, naturally to me. Um, uh, so primarily guitar, banjo. I play some piano. Uh, Irish drum, the Bauron drum. I played with Irish bands for mm -hmm. about 10 years. So, um, Irish drum, a little bit of Celtic harp, and uh, that's about it. But primarily banjo is is uh, my strongest instrument. Now, at some particular point, you moved over to Canada, correct? Yes. Okay, when was that? That was in, in 1978. I settled here. I started coming here in about 1973 with uh, an Irish band from Detroit called the Tinker's Dam. And we used to play the Frontenac Muldoons. Um, and uh, that was my first gig in Canada was Muldoon. So Finney McConnell was one of the first, he's a little person, <laughs> he was a little tiny person at that point, sticking his head in there. And Brendan McConnell, Annie McConnell were the first people I met in Kingston. And just pulling into Kingston, we were in a motor home from, from Detroit. The band was pulling in dead of night and in the middle of winter. And I just had a feeling, I just feeling came over me. I said, I think I'm going to like this town. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I did. And we played a lot here. We played about three months of the year. The band played Muldoon's uh, for a month at a time, about three months of the year. And uh, got married here, met, met my uh, first wife in the audience in Muldoon's and, and uh, got, uh, got married here and settled in 1978. So. Now, is music all you have ever done in terms of a career, in terms of uh, a paying job? Is it, is it yeah, music been your life? Yeah, I sold shoes in high school for uh, <laughs> summer. <laughs> decided that that wasn't for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why you would have come to that assumption. <laughs> but so, yeah, that, that was it. I, I worked in a couple of music stores in uh, in Detroit, but basically it was all, you know, to supplement the, the gigs. Now, you played in Tinker's Dam, which was a band from the U.S. Yeah. Uh, another band you played in was Cobbler's All, correct? Right. Now, was that Canadian or American? That was also uh, an American Irish uh, band. There was one Scottish guy and I, a guy from Dublin and myself. And that was based in Chicago, just outside of Chicago. And we were based at Dirty Nelly's West Irish Pub in Palatine, Illinois. And uh, traveled with that band uh, for quite a while. With respect to uh, something I read in your bio, it talked about you doing the coffee circuit in 1969. Yeah. And and that brought back some memories of some stories I had read about some of the other performers who were doing that same sort of thing and honing their craft and learning more about songwriting and getting to meet other songwriters and performers, which is something I gather those folks did when they were doing that kind of circuit. Did that sort of happen to you? Did you get to meet other people while you were doing that circuit? Yeah, yeah, that's... Um that's what kind of set me on my path. Um, I guess my last year of high school in Detroit, I started going to the coffee houses and seeing these solo entertainers 
that we're doing a combination of comedy and music uh, and doing it as a solo. And that really appealed to me. It really drove me to say, I want to do this. So when I got out of high school, I started playing at the Detroit coffee houses um, within that scene. And in the process of that, uh, there was an Irish band, the Tinker's Dam guys would come to see me and I, I would go to see them. They played a pub in, in Detroit. We got to be friends and eventually I joined their band. They were going on the road. So that coffee house, the whole coffee house scene kind of set me on my path there. And uh, the whole coffee house scene was very influential for me. Um, met a lot of people that influenced my life. So the comedy plus music was always something that was in the back of your mind to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, there was one particular person named Ron Coden that I would see in Detroit and I'd just watch him and I would just burn to do it. You know, he was just a uh, exquisite comedian and great musician. And that I always admired people like Tom Lair who were brilliant comedians, but really gifted piano player. You know, he's, he's a, incredible musician and victor borga people just were, thinking of him yeah people <laughs> who are very competent musicians but also humorous you know that's right that, that kind of yeah i kind of was driven to do that so. i think we need more victor borgas oh man oh yeah <laughs> even <laughs> yeah if uh yeah if i could do it over again i'd be victor borga <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but carrying the piano around from place to place would be a bit of a pain. That's true. Let's talk about developing your comedic approach when you were first starting uh, solo work. How did you go about uh, deciding how to integrate the comedy with the music? Uh, how did I decide? Well, it was kind of, I guess it was kind of patterned after that fellow I just mentioned, Ron Coden, who would do humorous introductions uh bits you know and improvisational bits with the audience and then kind of tie that into a humorous song and would you know it wouldn't be strictly humorous but he, he would do a good portion of humorous songs interspersed with nice you know folk songs and mm -hmm. different kinds of material so i guess uh it was kind of formed after that style of seeing the solo comedy set up a bit, create a bit, have the music kind of tie into that in some way. One of the things I thought we'd talk a little bit about is the business of picking songs. Like if you're going to do a show, how do you go about choosing songs that you're going to play? Does it depend on the mood you're in on a given night or how does that work? Uh, no, not my mood necessarily, although some there's some of that. Um, I, I would go in, I'll go in with a, the idea of an open, I usually have an opening song that I will always open with uh, for one reason or another. It, uh, it'll give me an idea of what the audience is reacting to, what kind of an audience I'm dealing with. A lot of, a lot of what I would choose to do depends on the setting because I do a huge variety of, of material, different genres, and some are Irish pubs and, and some are you know, boat cruises, Canadian Empress or Island Queen type things where there, there's a, you know, a multi-diverse audience that 
uh, you have to just, you know. Uh, so I, I would first of all decide what kind of setting I'm going into and have a rough idea of what repertoire I'm going to draw on. I know like thousands of songs. Um, I would decide what, what kind of repertoire I would draw on for that particular gig. So that would set a kind of a, a set in my head. And then after doing the opening song, which is almost always the same to give me an idea of what kind of response I'm getting, I would decide then, like if they were laughing during the humorous parts of the opening song, I might choose to do a comedy song next. Mm -hmm. And depending on the crowd and, you know, who they were, I would choose that. But I, I definitely would choose it, the material as I go according to the, re the response and the venue. Now, when you're doing some comedic songs, songs that are comedies themselves, are comedic themselves, I noticed that uh, some of the things you would do would be songs by Groucho Marx or Danny Kaye or Shel Silverstein. Yeah. And um, I'm wondering where <laughs> that comes from. Is this just something that you grew up with? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was people that uh, I would watch Groucho and Danny Kay when I was a kid and hilarious, humorous musical stuff. That they all did humorous uh, musical things. So, yeah, those were, those were influences from when I was a kid, uh, watching them and admiring them. So. When I worked in country radio, Shel Silverstein would be uh, an artist whose music would come up quite frequently, uh, ones that most people would know as written by him would be A Boy Named Sue by Johnny Cash, right. as well as Sylvia's Mother by um, Dr. Hook. Yeah, and the and, Unicorn Song. I'm sorry? And the Unicorn Song. And so he wrote all kinds of funny stuff. And, and that's one of the things I liked about country music was the way the songwriters crafted a tune in yeah. the space of three minutes and 14 seconds or whatever the timing <laughs> might be on the song. Yeah. So, so you decide what kind of songs you're going to do at a given point in time and, and you throw in some comedy as you are doing these songs, whether the songs are comedic or not. My question to you is, is if you're talking about comedy these, day, these days, some of it is off-color, sometimes a lot of it is insulting, and I gather that's not something you do. No, I've, I've always shied away from I never worked glue, and um, insulting is, is kind of um, subjective. You know, uh, some, some things are going to be insulting. You look at the difference in the... Uh, and like, look at the Republicans and the Democrats. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's there's going to be someone insulted if they're looking to be insulted. I tried really hard to n not insult anyone. I don't single people out in the audience. And uh, any ethnicity that I used to put in, the, I used to do ethnic humor, but that was about my own ethnicity. And and. It's comedy has become really difficult now, mm -hmm. uh, very, very difficult. But uh, you kind of um, you do what you can. You know. One of the quotes that I found online where someone was talking about you, I just gravitated to this particular quote because I know the fellow that made it. And the quote is, Roger James proves that comedians need not be offensive and insulting to be hilarious. And that was Bob Clark. 
yeah. made that. So he was the fellow that, um, yeah. before he passed, owned the Canadian Empress. Yeah. The, uh, you know, St. Lawrence Cruise Lines. Good guy. Yeah, um, nice guy. Great guy to work for him. Now, where have you played? You've traveled a lot over oh. the years, even though Kingston is your base now. Yeah. Uh, where have you been in terms of how wide a field have you traveled? Well, it's been about 6,000 performances, I think. So and, uh, a bit uh, mostly when I was traveling with the Irish band, it was U.S. and Canada. And as far as maybe Colorado in the West and uh, Edmonton in the West, uh, all the way East Coast, uh, never Newfoundland though. Um, some uh, Ireland and England, a couple of gigs uh, uh, during the 80s, not much there. But mostly it's been, you know, across Canada as far as Edmonton. And certainly since I moved here, it's been more in Canada. So. Now, when you've been performing on various tours, you've either opened for another band yeah. uh, as a band, as part of Tinker's Dam or uh, Cobbler's All, mm -hmm. or as a solo artist. Yeah. Have you opened as a solo artist for bands or in concert? Uh, yeah, I, I did. Uh, Brian Hinchy used to be my agent. He booked me in some openings. Uh, uh, J.J. Kale, uh, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker opening was came out of working a little bar in Gananoque. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. A tiny little bar in Gananoque, um, one of the hotels there. Somebody came up out of the audience and said, I'm, I'm doing a Joe Cocker concert and I want you to open. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the king of Spain. And <laughs> uh, but it turned out to be true. So, I mean, that came out of just nowhere. Open for the Kingston Trio and bands like that. And some um, uh, just as an aside, for those people who don't know, the Kingston Trio is not from Kingston, Ontario. <laughs> you were talking about the folk group, right? Yeah, yeah. The folk yeah. Group. I have a question, a bit of an aside, opening okay. up for Joe Cocker. And I am assuming that he is bringing a band with him when he's doing his concert mm -hmm. at that particular point, correct? Right, right. Okay. So I've been to concerts where the opening act is a solo who yeah. comes out and sings a few songs. And of course the people in the audience are waiting for the main <laughs> act. Right. And so you're just sort of between the audience and the main act. And I'm wondering how that feels as a performer, knowing that they didn't come to see you specifically. Um, I, I, that never really entered my mind. Like that kind of thought doesn't, I have a rule that I've taught to my kids is, uh, one negative thought on stage is too many. So mm -hmm. that doesn't, I would never let that thought enter my head. When, as far as I'm concerned, they were there for that period of time. They're there to see me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for the and, short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. For that, you know, while I'm in front of them, this is, this is what's going on. So. <laughs> Now, I heard somewhere that uh, along with the many things you have done in your career is an appearance in a movie. Is that true? <laughs> was, yeah. I was Vendetta. Kid. Yeah, I, I, held a, I held a big fish. <laughs> I carried a big, I'm, I was known as the guy with the great big fish, big dead fish. <laughs> That's all you did in the movie? You didn't I, sing I, or anything? I yelled, tutti va, tutti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I was, I didn't, you know, I was just a, 
I was a plant. I went looking at the credits for the movie online, and I didn't see your name at all. <laughs> uh, no, I made much. I made a much bigger deal out of that than than uh, <laughs> than it really was. Um, but I have I have the ten second clip that I was in. All right, ten seconds. <laughs> this movie, for those who may not be aware, is called Vendetta, and there are a few movies called Vendetta, but this is the one that stars Christopher Walken. And uh, I went through the list of other names on that, and I don't recognize too many of them personally, but there could be other big names in there. But I know that Christopher Walken was the first name on the list. Christopher Walken came up to me the next day and said, you look good with the fish. <laughs> <laughs> and part of this movie was actually filmed in Kingston. Yeah, that's that's yeah. where... Yeah, that's what that's I, why we got you involved. Yeah, that's what got me involved. I also right. played in that. Uh, we did a street scene, Charlie Torelli. You know Charlie? I know the uh, name. Yeah, he and I did a street scene of Italian musicians playing in it. The two of us, he was playing harmonica. I was playing a kind of a mandolin thing. So. And that was in the same movie? Yeah, that was in the same movie. So it was the big fish and the... Big the short street scene. The short street scene. What yeah. one of the things I was going to ask you is: there something that you've wanted to do in your career that you have yet to do? Wow, I don't know. I'd like to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've set the bar fairly low. I want to keep, <laughs> keep playing music <laughs> and for people, and uh, getting paid for it is a bonus. Mm -hmm. So. Do you find as you as you get older and you are performing and you have such a wide range of music that you can call upon, yeah. and and I'm thinking based upon personal experience. Now I don't sing or perform, but it's the recall thing that bothers me from time to time, and I'm just not recalling it. And I'm wondering if you have difficulty recalling some of these songs from time to time, knowing that there's a particular tune that you think would fit, but you're not sure given how much you have to choose from. Okay, I'm knocking on wood right now. Yeah, that I I haven't had any recall problems. That's great. Um, are you talking about specifically for choosing material out of uh, out of the repertoire? Or well, that would that would be one thing. Is also the singing of the song and remembering all of the lyrics. Yeah. yeah, remembering the lyrics somehow. I've just been blessed with a some kind of quirk um, that I can once I learn a song, it stays with me forever. I remember. I'm knocking on wood again. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I remember songs from when I was 12, you know, when I was little. That uh, I remembered I hadn't done Alice's Restaurant in about 20 years, and somebody asked for it. I had learned it in 1970, and somebody asked for it in 1990. And I still knew all the words to 20 Minutes of Alice's Restaurant. That's crazy. It's just some, it's some kind of a gift that, that I'm able to remember these with the exception of going back to the negative thought uh, thing the one negative thought on stage is too many mm -hmm. in that if you if you're in the middle of a song and you say to yourself I hope hope I can remember the third verse you're done yeah <laughs> and I learned that I learned that when I was with the rock and roll band in Detroit and we're playing and I'm playing Luai Luai, and I'm playing the lead to it, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really hard, and it stopped. It just, it left me, and 
it was uh, I learned that important lesson at that point. You don't feed yourself any kind of thought like I hope I can. As soon as my mind goes to I hope I can, I stop thinking that. Right, you're done. So as long as I keep building on, you know, clipping through it and letting it come, it it continues to come. So. Well, I hope it continues to come for you as you move forward, and I look forward to catching you perform somewhere over the next little while once we all get back to a bit of normalcy in our lives. I want to thank you for your time today, Roger. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you, Dave. Thanks for all you're doing for all the folks in Kingston. Theme music for the program is Stasis Oasis, a tune written and performed by Kingston musician Jim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of our episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast Facebook page. This is Dave Cunningham from Kingston, Ontario. Thank you for listening. Until next time.